Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest. And we are back again with another great guest. We always do it every week. We have somebody special for you guys. And this week is no different. It might be a lot funnier than our past episodes, but it is just as informative and good. So today we have Mr. Josh Johnson. Um, And if you don't know him, you probably have seen him before, at least on The Daily Show or on Stand Up Comedy on Comedy Central. Uh, But he is currently a stand-up writer and performer uh, from Louisiana by way of Chicago. And like I say, he's currently a writer on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah and is a former writer and performer on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. So he's he's been all over doing some some humongous things. And just to give you a little bit of background about his comedy work, uh, he's performed at clubs, colleges, festivals around the world. And he was actually named New York's funniest comic at Caroline's during the New York Comedy Festival. So um, some big things there. And on screen, he's appeared on Conan, Comedy Central. He just released his first, uh, when he released his uh, half hour special. And he's been on Netflix as part of the comedy lineup. So uh, right now, Josh, we we appreciate him making some time for us because he is actually on the road as we speak uh, with Trevor Noah as part of the Loud and Clear Tour. Uh, currently, Josh lives in New York, and you can catch him uh, performing regularly at the Comedy Cellar. So, Josh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, no, the actual name of the tour changed, and there's a oh. gnat in my face. One second. Uh, so the <laughs> the I think it's a uh, it's back to abnormal now. So the the old oh, one was okay. loud and clear, and loud and clear got interrupted by the pandemic. So now it's back to abnormal. Hey, I think after 2021, that's uh, or after 2020, yeah. that's a, that's a fitting <laughs> title for for a series there. Yeah, yeah, right. Thanks for having me, though. How y'all doing? We're good. We're good. We're excited to to talk with you and kind of get you know some insights into what you what you're doing, what you're working on. Uh, but first, you know, we kind of want to know like who is you know who is Josh Johnson, you know. We, we know you're writing for the late for the daily show and you're currently a writer and performer, you know, on the tonight show. So just kind of explain to us how you got into the comedy game. And if you could just tell us, you know, like which comedians kind of influenced you as you were growing up or coming up. Rather. Uh, you know, I, I started comedy in Chicago and I was just doing like open mics like it's not they're not great. Like they don't like they don't only like <sighs> It's it's funny because it's like when you're starting out, you're you're a lot of your standards for yourself are super low because you're just trying to get good, like decent right. and everything. And so it's it's one of those things where I, I have a lot of love for Chicago because that's where I feel like I found a lot of my creativity and like found my way as like a young adult and as a comedian because that's where I started. Uh, but I do not miss open mics at all. Like it, it just <laughs> just brutal. And it'll be like, and we'll all see it happening. It's like a train wreck that everybody's a part of. Like everybody gets a turn wrecking the car. And and it's just because we, at the time, we didn't know any better. And so now if those same groups of people got together, that'd be, it would not only be a show, but it would be like a way, way better time. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I started. I moved there to start and then was doing open mics and stuff. Eventually was doing some showcases and then got passed at some clubs and that led to like more work on the road and everything. I didn't really start writing professionally until I moved to New York. And then, um, yeah, it's been, it's a, it's a horrible way to end the answer. But yeah, ever since I've just been like chilling, you know, like just 
enjoying traveling and and touring the states and everything and then going to other countries and then work on my own projects to try to you know just it, it express myself in some different ways like i i love stand up and it's my my first love and everything it's the thing that i feel like i'm the the best at but i want to branch out into other things so i've been doing a lot of that these past like 18 months Cool. Well, as a as a quick little follow up, I know we said you know usually two. Our listeners know we do two you know questions, but you said you want to get into some other things, or, or I don't know, Devin. Do we have a question in our script about some of these other things, or do we want to? Uh, I don't. I don't remember if we've got any uh, question about that. Maybe Josh wants to uh, preview some of these other things for our, for our fans. A sneak peek, if he wants. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I um I put out a mixtape this year called Elusive, and it's a mix of stand up and music. So they interlude each other. So basically, it's like two jokes and then a song, two jokes and a song, and the song sort of like ties in the the final idea from the previous jokes and stuff. But the music is not comedy. The music is 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 earnest and. Um, we we span across a bunch of genres. So I co-wrote the music with with friends. So it's not me singing, but it's, you know, my friends that are <laughs> all over the country and stuff and just super, super talented that I got to work with for it. No, that's awesome. I mean, it, it definitely sounds like, Josh, you've, you've, you've gotten to do some great things. Uh, we, we've gotten a chance to talk with great people who are out doing great things within their own fields. Uh, and we, we had an episode uh, last week talking about the great resignation, about people stepping away from dead end jobs and really trying to figure out what their passion is. So I, I just kind of wanted to ask you, Josh, you know, what's your message to maybe some of the young people that are listening uh, when it comes to, like you said, finding your passion, which you have in comedy, rather than, you know, working some of these dead end jobs that their parents or grandparents or maybe society is telling them to do? Uh, I mean, I would say, OK, so this isn't what I did. So now I'm going to sound like a <laughs> lunatic and a jerk for saying it. But I, I will say that waiting a year or two to go to college is is if you're going to go at all is is really impactful because. the OK, the amount of money that you give and the smarter the kid is apparently the more money we're willing to give them. So the <laughs> amount of money you're willing to give like a child to basically screw up the rest of their life with at like 18 years old is insane. Like that, like that whole system is crazy. Like you've been told you're too young to drink. Your brain's not developed enough to vote. You know, And then all in one year, not only can you do those, like some of those things, but you have to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. And you have to be right. And you have to bank that the thing you want to do for the rest of life is still going to be around. And, you know, which I guess it will be if you're like pre-med or, or law or something like that. I, I guess, you know, poli sci will always be around. But for the most part, a lot of things change. And so I, I noticed when I was even in college that the people that waited for a year or even like three and then went to college were really sure about what they wanted to do were much more resolved in in like in how they want things to go and how they thought they might go and also didn't get distracted the way that you do like when you're like like for instance 
right now things are opening back up in the country and people don't know how to act and they don't know how to act the way you don't know how to act when you're a college freshman like at, like basically out of lockdown everybody is a college freshman like people are banging people a lot of people are going to be pregnant in april and nobody's talking about it like oh ne- like next april there's going to be a lot of babies and no one's mentioning it right now but it's like it's not even like a summer of love thing i'm i'm sure most of these people won't stay together but people are banging like it is it like it's egregious the level that it's I know I sound bitter like I'm not part of it that's fine I understand how I sound but I'm just saying I'm in New York and the like I've just what strangers are are just walking up to each other and like you and then and then they go off and they're going to be connected for the rest of their lives cuz they the, someone is going to be pregnant and so the the whole reason I said that is because like when you go to college at at that young of an age, you really you're out on your own for the first time. You really don't know how to act. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to be like, well, I like this thing, so maybe I want to do this thing. Now you're 22, you know, 21 or 23, leaving school with all this debt and the hope that you can dig your way out of it. And along the way, you find out how easy or hard that job is to get that you're either passionate about or really wanted to do. And sometimes it's just not, you know, like it's 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 a it's a fact of life that there's there's only so many people. There's only so many jobs. And and I think that sometimes waiting is is you just come with so much more of a grounded nature when you wait a while to do some things. And and then the other thing is if you're not that young, if you're not that that age or anything and you've just been working this job for a while and everything, I I always encourage people to to sit down and write out what they want. Just be honest with yourself, like as pie in the sky as you as you can be, whatever, write what you want. And then the thing that'll ground you if you're if you're, you know, very pie in the sky about everything is just doing the math. It's like, okay, in five years, you want a house, you want to, you know, maybe marry the person that you're dating right now and you want to be able to have kids. Okay, let's, let's do the math on those things and, and write down how much those things would cost right now for where you live. And then maybe even like this, this is where it maybe gets too specific, but like adjust for inflation because that's coming. That's, that's not going to stop. And then what what do you have? Do you do you have a lifestyle right now that leads you that to that place? Because that's what defines dead end or not. Like I know a lot of people who work jobs that some people would call dead end. They're very happy where they are, and then I know people who clearly want something different or um, something like more specific to what they're passionate about, and they're working that same job that the other person's happy at and feel like they're in a dead end. And it's like, maybe it is a dead end for you that it's not for other people. Because, you know, we're we're in a different time than our parents. Our parents could work a job that they weren't necessarily passionate about, but also wasn't, like, that hard to to keep or nail down. And then they they were able to like our, our grandparents had pensions like people people just stopped talking about pensions like yeah. they weren't important or anything a 401k versus a pension is the difference between you working till you're 70 to you retiring at a reasonable age you know like like a lot of people don't even understand their 401k they don't know if they should match it all all that stuff and businesses especially corporations prey on that sort of thing so that that's my basic advice to to 
people in that that feel like they're in that situation. It's like write everything down that you want and then do the math of if if it's possible because then you know. That's the other the other powerful thing of like knowing what it takes to get where you want to go. Now you you do have a negotiating power that you didn't feel like you had before. A lot of times especially when you're young, people people run out there and they're like, "Oh, okay, 40,000 a year. Yeah, all right. I'm just glad I got hired right out of school. I'm killing the game." You know, whatever. Not thinking like, okay, and maybe 40, 40 is fine and you can live off 40. I know plenty of people right out of school that lived off of 40. But I will say if you know exactly what you need, if you're like if, if you know, if you're like that that dude in the in the fifties that had a whole family relying on him and everything, now you can go in and be like, Look, I got kids, like 40's not gonna cut it. Like, you know, fifty and up. And <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't seem I understand it's not that easy, especially for people who are already in the situation of this feeling of a dead end job is what's supporting this sort of like barely making ends meet lifestyle that you have. Like you can't afford to take off work. You can't afford it. I I'm I'm totally with you. I'm just saying those are the things that that I think it it takes. And that's what makes it so hard when you don't have time to job search for two months, when you don't have time to you know, fill out applications all day when you got kids to drop off at school and you got, uh, you know, a job to be at and stuff like I, I get that this this stuff is not easy at all. No, you're you're absolutely right. And that's, you know, that's what makes it difficult. But it's interesting in what you're saying, because it's it's feasible to get there. Um, but it's more or less about kind of figuring out the pathway and then, you know, working something to get there. Also, um, you're you're absolutely right. I, I I will say, Devin and I, we can't attest to the banging because our parents listen to the show, so we don't we can't reveal too much. But um, I, I guarantee you, there will there will be a lot um, there will be a lot in you know upcoming year uh, of you know in maternity wards. I don't know if Devin's got something to say, but I'm, I'm not going to say too much, Devin, because I know my mom. She 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 probably wonders what I've been doing in, in Los Angeles for the past two well. years. So I'm not going to say too much. Well, yeah, I mean, now I, you left like that, like now. Oh, I, I hope you've been keeping it on the straight and narrow because you're not there anymore. That'd be that'd be wild if you I just say now I'm in Baltimore and I hear Baltimore is rough. So I got to I got to be careful. And they tell me you got to go into the good neighborhoods in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, I I've been through Baltimore a couple times for shows. And yeah, it's like every once in a while you'll see something <laughs> that is like that is so harrowing. That you're like, I don't even think, okay, I'm trying to think of a good example. All right. You know what? You know what? Okay. So in Louisiana, there was one time my friend told me he he saw, <laughs> he said he saw a dude get robbed with a screwdriver, right? And it's just like, yeah, yeah. Like imagine, imagine a world. Like a like a lifestyle at a world where your mugger cannot afford a knife. <laughs> like knives aren't that expensive. I understand not being able to afford a gun. Like you know, maybe you can't get a gun, but you couldn't even get a. You didn't even have a knife at home. You even have a butter knife. You just grabbed a Phillips screwdriver. <laughs> It was like, you got to get it how you live. And then you you went out there and started robbing people. And it's like, not even, wasn't a fit man, by the way. So, like, even as he was trying to run off, 
you know, is like couldn't couldn't get far fast. And it's like that's and sometimes not that that's what I think of when I think of Baltimore, but I'm saying the things that I've seen in Baltimore were adjacent to that, where I'm just like, oh goodness. Like how like how <laughs> No, you're you're right. I, I I haven't like went throughout all the parts, but one thing that, that 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 that's really I guess peeved me is the fact that Baltimore has you know a lot of black leadership. You know, the mayor, city councils dominated by you know us of color, um, and you know citizens, huge population here. But there's there's so much blight and so much in it, you know inattention to uh, the minority here, uh, even though that the leadership is so you know, like us. I, I, that's one thing that I've kind of seen. I think that, you know, they got the new mayor in there. I think he just got elected last year and they're trying to see some things, but I, I can believe everything you're saying that there's going to be a lot of um, stories that I'll be able to go talk about just like you are uh, out of my uh, few months here in Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's why I also, I rarely get excited about like, <sighs> I'll probably, probably get eaten up for this, but it, but to me it's true. I think representation matters, but I also think that it only matters to a point. Like, like I, I can only get so excited that some other black guy got a job. Yeah, you know I mean, like, like I get, like I'm happy for him, and I'm a, you know, oh city councilman. Got you, killing it. It's us. We in there. Also, what do you do again? Like, what, like, what's your, what's your, what's your vibe? What do you? Oh, so you, so you just, you're just here for you. Oh, okay. You might as well be white then. Like, I don't, (laughs) that didn't help me at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's something we've kind of talked about too. You know, sometimes we'll be in positions where we think we have power, but in reality, we really don't control, you know, much of anything, but we're there, you know, Hey, we got the representation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say that like, I think that sometimes there's a okay, how do I word this? I think that sometimes it's a very convenient excuse for the people that know that they could be doing better. Because cuz the people on the street, sure, they don't have the power and everything. But you can't tell me you made it all the way to like the Senate and you're just like, ah, my hands are tied. It's like, <laughs> then, then why don't we just go to war then? Like, like, if, like if if it, if it's that bad, if it's if it's that like, you real you still can't do anything. Like, come on now, you just don't want to do the things because this this is the thing that you have to remember about like, uh, you know, like like politicians. It's a lot like dating, where it's like you're never gonna. So so for instance. Imagine dating somebody that you're never going to marry and you both know y'all are never going to get married. You're just going to keep dating. They're supposed to be on their best behavior at all times because you're just going to keep dating. They could drop you at any point, but you're human. So you, you slip and you fall and you, you know, like, I don't know, you aren't worth it half the time, whatever. Then when it really looks like you're going to get broken up with, then you like, you know, get everything into shape. You really like clean up your act and everything. And it's like, and that's what terms are. And that's what politicians are. It's like the, you know, the amount of like, like buzzer beater decisions out there that sole politicians could have made that could have got a bill passed or could have changed something. And they didn't do it because they wanted to be reelected so that they could sit there for another two years. It's like, 
that that game never ends. So sometimes I'm I'm not even as keen on some of the excuses of like, you know, that that I hear from them. It's just like, nah, man. It's like I understand that you, you know, you you black and everything and well, it's hard like, out here for us, but like you're if you're the congressman, we look at it you like like that like <laughs> there's no other way we could take it. You can't also be like, well, you know the man. It's like nah, nah, you're the man. <laughs> you're supposed to be the man now. Josh, you are you are on the right show. Just in case you're wondering, the Black Agenda. We talk about that, you know, twenty four seven about what's going on in our in our world and how. Right now, we've got, you know, acts like For the People Act and the John Lewis and the George, I mean, all these different great things going on. And we've got people in Congress saying we can't move because the man and the other side. So thank you. Uh, you are you're hitting on the right stuff. Um, listeners, what we're going to do here, we're going to take our first break so that we can go ahead and uh, go into our second segment. So um, stick with us. We're having an awesome, awesome conversation. So we'll be right back. Both us got our doubts, we'll figure them out in the morning All I know is that can we go every time I know your bed is calling Now I'm falling Now I'm falling And I'm falling in love, yeah I like the way, I like the way You talk to me All right, welcome back. So we are continuing our conversation with Mr. Josh Johnson. So we had a, a very, very good first segment. So uh, Josh, this segment really here is about the reason we asked you to, you know, to come on the show, which is to tell us about, you know, your, your thoughts on cancel culture. Uh, you know, is it real? Is it not real? And is it really having an impact on how, you know, comedians um, approach the comedy game now? So um, the, and, and this question here specifically is about, Two of two of the biggest stars in comedy, Kevin Hart, Cat Williams, who recently gave, you know, their thoughts on cancel culture. And they're kind of really in opposite positions. Uh, you know, Cat Williams kind of says, you know, there's there is no cancel culture. You know, he says cancellation doesn't have its own culture. Um, Kevin Hart, on the other hand, you know, says that when do we get to the point where we expected people to be perfect, you know, all the time. And so he and we know he's had obvious issues with folks trying to cancel him or criticize him for jokes that he's made in the past. Um, and so we just kind of wanted to get your take on like, where do you fall as far as the discussion of cancel culture? Do you think it is harder, you know, for comedians and, and even writers to be them true selves on stage? Um, you know, now because of this fear of you, you know, being criticized and quote unquote canceled. Um, I mean, okay. So up, up top, I would ask, I, I know you're not supposed to answer a question with a question, but um, <laughs> I do, for the sake of defining terms for the conversation, I do want to get a sense of what you both think, how you define canceled, because I think it'll shape how the conversation goes so that we're not talking about like two or three different things. No, I mean, that's that's a great, great question, um, at least for me. I kind of think of it as as far as what happened to Kevin Hart. So, mm -hmm. you know, people were going back, looking at his old stand up specials about where he made jokes about um, like his son being gay 
And he was like, no, stop that. That's gay. And they went back and, and pulled those clips and he had apologized for making those jokes. But even, you know, we all know when he had gotten tapped to be host of the Oscars, people were still pulling those same jokes and saying, no, you can't. He shouldn't be able to host it because he's homophobic because of the jokes that he made in the past. And so essentially canceling him and not allowing him to host things or, you know, touch certain topics. You know, I I see it as like certain topics are now off limits because it offends certain people, I guess. And so it's like there are, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but no, no, it's making sense. And then uh, what do you think, Adrian? Um, I would say mine is kind of in that line to where, you know, you can even look at it to like, I'm trying to remember, I don't think, I think it was maybe Virginia's governor or one of the governors who did blackface and then tried to apologize and the whole, and in my mind, I think it's, you know, kind of the idea that you, you, I guess you as a person, maybe you can't grow or change your opinion um, and say you, you've kind of made yourself, you know, whole um, that, you know, rather a lot of people say you can't do that. They were rather like Devin said, cancel you because, of those actions in the past. That, that's kind of how I look at it. You know, America's not giving people an opportunity to forgive and grow, I guess. Gotcha. Okay. So the best way I can, I guess, describe how I feel about it is um, I look at uh, cancel culture almost exactly as I look at uh, police brutality. So when you look at it, who's it really affecting? It It, it affects people on the street, on the street level, it doesn't affect people with power or money or fame as much. I'm talking about police brutality. Cancellation kind of works the same way. When you look at anybody who's been canceled, that's very, very rich, very famous or very powerful. It's like who, who in my, and I'm, and I'm genuinely wondering, cause I maybe miss something other people know about. And I wish that I could like open it up to like a full floor of people of your listeners. So that way somebody could correct me if I'm wrong, but who that like did not, commit a criminal act is now not able to work like like if you if you think about that it's like it's like okay harvey weinstein's like well he did stuff yeah i mean like like you anyone who did something and had numbers of course they went down and 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 you know you people can call it a winch witch hunt that's a defense attorney's narrative um i'm asking who that you know maybe has something in the past some of that to my knowledge Ralph Northam is still in office and, you know, to my knowledge, Kevin Hart is still the top grossing, uh, top selling comedian in the world. So, you know, I, I, I think that one thing that happens is that we love to see someone fall as much as we love to see them rise. And we love to create those, those ups and downs ourselves as fans. And so I think what's happening to Kevin or what happened to him in a sense was, you know, he got big enough now where now it's like cool to hate on him for some reason. And then on top of that, you know, he, he had this old thing. People, I understand what you're saying, Adrian, about the growth thing, because that is part of it. So one of the, one of the things that happens is that people like to keep their memory of their behavior very recent. But uh, if, and, and if I can correct, I think the only thing Kevin was apologizing for and the only thing people were really coming at him for were the tweets. I feel like the jokes from the special were then used as fodder to be like, see, he means it, which is just a misinterpretation of a joke. And even, and, you know, and, and so while people, 
while people were coming at him with everything he ever said, I think he was only really apologizing for the tweets because that's the only thing that out of context looks like horrible, horrible, horrible and like he means it. If you're doing your stand up special, it's like kind of implied that like all of these things are jokes. It's like why it's an hour comedy special. But I, I think that for the most part, there is a bit of misremembering how the past was, because when Kevin made those jokes, nobody was was in any way particularly kind or gracious towards the LGBT community. Like like people were still saying like wretched things openly on hot mics on purpose. So so to grab Kevin feels a little bit. I'll give you an example. Uh, and I'm not and I'm not one of those people that like just hates on people or anything. So I'm not saying this as if uh, oh she's so bad. But like, you know, at the same time that Kevin tweeted those things, Hillary Clinton had a very different view about what marriage was. So it's 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 interesting that we can forgive and ultimately attempt to elect Hillary for having worldviews that actively affect the LGBT community. But then Kevin is like the monster for a thing that he tweeted, apologized for, and then apologized for again. It just seems like a little bit disingenuous. And it's one of the easiest things to do to outrage at the thing that, you know, you'll get the reaction from, or, you know, is just easier. It's, it's, it's why they, they don't hold protests at the person's house that did the thing. Because it's like, oh, guys, he doesn't care. That person doesn't care that he did it. We're going to go protest somewhere else so we can sort of preach to the choir and yell and kind of yell at people who agree with us. So I would just say I look at the same way that uh, police brutality is very real and some people think it's not real. The people who think it's not real aren't directly affected by it. So that's one of the reasons they're saying it's not real because they haven't seen it and they haven't they haven't even when they've seen it, seen the, the the depths to which it goes. But then look at who's affected by it. And cancel culture works the same way. The people who I'm worried about getting canceled are regular people because when a regular person tweets a racist thing or a sexist thing or a homophobic thing or whatever, and the whole internet knows them for that one moment, that person's life actually gets ruined for real. Like that, like that person loses their job and then can't find other jobs because your job Googles you before they hire you. And like that person is like, is like ruined. And hey, I'm not even arguing with the people doing it. Sometimes maybe it's appropriately so because sometimes there are things that are terrible but not illegal. And so the Internet decides to carry out some sort of vigilante justice, whatever. I'm not I'm not in into whether it's good or bad. I'm just saying what's happening and what's happening is like on the ground, people who get, quote unquote, canceled actually get their lives ruined and then forgotten about. Where's the dude that killed the lion? Remember that dude that shot the lion? Because they threw bricks through that dude's that that dude's dentist yeah. office, and they threw bricks <clears throat> through it every time he tried to open up again. That dude, maybe he's okay now because it's been years. But there's somebody who I just said, "Where's to do with the line?" and they just got mad all yeah. over again. Because the other thing that the internet does is that anything you come across on the internet is happening presently in front of you right now. So even if something is old, it's like it's like if you, you know, not to make everything a dating analogy, but it's like if you were dating somebody and then you got married and then you were married for 30 years. Right. And then after 30 years, they're like, hey, just so you know, I've, I've been holding on to it for a while. But just so you know, uh, the night before we got married, I cheated on you. You'd be like, what? 
Now, it was a long time ago. It was 30 years ago. Yeah. But for you, it's happening right now. And that's what the Internet is. When you see someone's tweet, no matter how much they've evolved in real time, in real life, you're seeing this tweet in front of you now like they just tweeted it because it's it's new to you and you're experiencing it for the first time. So in some respects, I do get some of the outrage people have because you can't you don't know people personally. You don't know the growth that they've had. Like, I understand that, especially as someone you know, let's say you're someone in the world who isn't even a comedy fan. So then the first experience you have, I don't know how, because he's everywhere, but the first experience you have with Kevin Hart is those tweets. Of course, yeah. you're going to be like, I want to see this dude do stuff uh, 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 in front of me again, like, whatever. Now, that's a very specific and I'm I'm giving a lot of credit that that person would be being genuine. But that is an outcome you can have. Whereas what Cat Williams is saying is, I think, closer to the thing I'm saying of like, as we evolve, it's okay to. I think that one of the best things that jokes do is they put up a lens at the society you live in at the time. Right. So, for instance, I don't know about you, but I don't think blackface was ever funny. But there was a time where people definitely found it funny. And the time that people found it funny said a lot about society at that time. So I'll even say this. I'll even extend an olive branch this far. I'm not going to get mad at the person doing blackface in that moment, that vaudeville 1920s comedian getting up there and doing blackface. I'm mad that like this many people find this characterization of an entire people that they deal with every day that funny. And I and and so comedians put up lenses. And so it's like if you don't like Kevin's jokes, well, let's let's be honest about things. How were gay people being treated in the early aughts and how are they being treated in the 2010s? Like how like like how was it? Because you see Kevin doing any of those jokes. People are laughing. Why are they laughing? Is it because they agree or because they're having a good time or like are there gay people laughing? Are that you know what I mean? So you have to look at things with with context and, and be be honest with yourself and about the place that the world was in because i think a lot of cancellation and all that other stuff is about virtue signaling that like i've never been that bad and it's like look we were all in junior high so we were all pretty bad at one point we all said we all said <laughs> things for shock value we all like we're all in this and we want to act like we're not but it we are and so as far as cancellation goes i that's how I feel about it. I look at it in the same lens that I look at other social issues that only affect the people who don't have the resources to get away from them. Because there are some people, there's some celebrities that get, you know, whatever version of canceled they want to call themselves. And then they go to uh, like Peru for a year and then they come back after everybody's forgotten. Regular people can't do that. Regular people got to live. They got to eat and they got to live with the only instance of people getting a glimpse of who they are is this moment a slip in judgment or them at their worst or maybe that's who they are and they deserve it i'm not saying everybody who's ever been called out is is not worthy of it but i also think that on the side of people in fear of cancellation i think a lot of people call criticism cancellation now people can criticize you yeah. and then move on that's not canceling you and maybe you're the you know to quote charlemagne it's like maybe you're the donkey of the day for something that you did that's just undeniably dumb you're not being canceled you're like people are commenting on this thing that you did that they thought was dumb or that they didn't like depending on how quickly people move on i think delves into whether you're being like canceled or not you know like did you lose something cuz if you lost something then i think that 
yeah, you, we can start a conversation about being canceled. As far as how it makes me approach comedy, I don't really worry about it as much because I think that as long as you are incredibly clear and precise in your in your wording and your message, anyone who gets offended after that, you know, maybe they genuinely don't like the joke and that's that's every person's prerogative to not like what I'm saying. But I think that I put so much thought and work into my jokes and what I'm talking about that by the time I offend someone, it's not that I don't care. It's just that I I know that they truly are either intentionally misunderstanding or they just didn't get the joke. Because even if a joke doesn't make you laugh, if you can understand it, you can understand the humor behind it. And and I'm not I'm not trying to sound like I think I'm, you know, the, the like the hottest thing in the world. But I but I'm good enough at this at this point to not mis- misrepresent what I'm saying when I say it. And and if I am, then maybe I'm working on the joke. But if I'm putting something up for consumption and it's done in my mind, I don't think I worry about any sort of cancellation for jokes, especially because one, it's a joke. And then two, what what was I trying to say and what was I trying to do? There's plenty of people who I guess you could say get like e- even on a local level canceled for their jokes, but it's like, well, what were you what were you saying? Like, were you truly going after people to be terrible? Because people might just not like that, and that's I wouldn't even call that cancellation. That's just you not being funny to the people you're in front of. Maybe if you do it in front of some other people, they'll find it very funny. And that's that's how niche comedy is like you. You can't worry about that stuff or else you won't make good art and you won't try anything like that. Like I, I do see a lot of comedians paralyzed by that fear and I just don't have it. Not because I'm necessarily squeaky clean or anything, but just because it's like by the time I decide to talk about something, I've thought about it so much that I've exhausted it. And even if the joke isn't perfect, even if my message isn't isn't like put out there i think you know i i really did my best and that's all that you can do and and all of this stuff all all status and all like fame money all all power is is temporary so no almost no matter the means that you lose it you're gonna lose it so maybe some people feel like they lost it because they got canceled and it's like well there was gonna come a day where you weren't popping for some reason you know like like we've all we've all seen people who especially in comedy we've seen people who in my opinion have kind of like a hacky act where they just like trash like whether it's trashing certain groups or just relying on old premises the whole time we've all seen that and and no matter how popping they are it's like your day's going to come now maybe it comes because a bunch of people got hot twitter fingers and are like oh this sexist pig whatever or maybe it just beca- comes because we don't enjoy every by every decade. We don't enjoy the same jokes. That's why the only comedians who have lasting power are the people either saying something powerful enough to permeate through time or people who are adaptable in their message to what to the way that people can receive it. And so, you know, all that other stuff is like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you can't, you know, get up there and just say bitches the whole time it's like all right like like there are going to be women that don't find that funny you're not being canceled just like adjust or like say three less bitches and you might you might have a great show you know like i 
I can't pretend to know all of the ins and outs of comedy, but I see some of the people who are in fear of being canceled or in fear of doing jokes that offend or say they can't talk about ter- certain topics. Some of them lack the the nuance to make those takes interesting. And then some of them are being disingenuous and they want to go back to like the old 90s days of of just being like, this guy's gay, right? <laughs> and then that killing. So So it's like that was hot in the 90s and it's just not now. And you can't blame us that you're 20 years older like that. Like that's that's wild. Like what what was funny in 99 might still be funny. You know, I watch I watch, for instance, I think that not necessarily the way he says everything, but the content that Mike Epps has in um, in underrated, but never faded. I think that will always be funny. And he's not making like deep Chappelle esque points. But there's just always going to be something funny about a dude that, like, you know, tried to rob this gas station and then and then like got home and forgot he locked himself out. It's like it's like there's there's goofy stuff like that that will always in some way be funny. And I think that um, the last thing I'll say about it is that I think that some people want all of the praise of getting political and none of the criticism because i think that some people are way more political than they even realize they are by how they by the stances they take and what they say and what they talk about and they only want people to come up and be like man i love what you said up there but they don't want anybody to be like well if you if you read a book maybe you'd uh have like come to a different conclusion it's like People are allowed to not like whatever I make. I'm not I'm not the end all be all of entertainment. So I make things that I think people will like. I test it out in front of people and they seem to like it. And then that's what I put out for mass consumption. So, you know, I, I all these things are just a product of, of the time. There are plenty of disingenuous people that I will say the the olive branch that I'll extend before I stop talking is that there are plenty of disingenuous people out there trying to make your day worse and trying hard to misunderstand your joke or your actions. So I'm not saying that nobody can twist something and get you in quote unquote, like, you know, Twitter trouble. But I think those people are far fewer than we realize. And I think we let like 10% of uh, Twitter dictate 90% of the conversation. You're right. Social media is too powerful. And, you know, Josh, you you said um, some interesting things. I really hope our listeners were able to grasp a lot of that, because I think that um, one of the things that really stood out to me is just how um, how how you all as comedians just really use the time to paint the picture of what society might need to focus on. But you do it and through jokes. And that's not necessarily say that you should be canceled because of that. But maybe that, you know, that hatred that people have and they for wanting to cancel you, that should be directed, you know, towards the police brutality or or towards the people who have these stances towards, you know, the LGBTQ community. So I I really love that part um, because I I think that whenever you talk about cancel culture in that way, it's like, you know, we're almost sometimes we're falsely placing it. But also it does have a purpose within our society. It's just almost misdirected. So that was that was one thing I really, really liked that you said there. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. But the last thing um, on the on the 
the Kevin Hart thing, a lot of people spent all of their energy and all of their time talking about and like uh, bashing Kevin. And that didn't help one single queer person at all. So if you ever see something that you that that pisses you off that much or that you think is is making the world a worse place, instead of just like yelling out into the void at it, find someone if you know what what could have been a good use of that, honestly, in in my opinion, is okay, let's say I'm, you know, I'm someone who doesn't know or do anything with comedy and I saw the Kevin thing and I'm upset and I don't know he already apologized or whatever, right? Let's say that's who I am. Instead of just like tweeting out to my 200 followers that Kevin isn't isn't funny or mean or whatever, hype up somebody that you think is making comedy and the world a better place. There's, pr- there's plenty of funny queer comics that you could hype up instead of just spending all day talking trash about kevin and that lifts people up as opposed to just being negative and just making the world worse you know it's like there's so many people that could have benefited from from you know the outcome of 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 that and all that energy that went into it and nothing happened it was just this void it was like well we're we're a powerful bunch because he didn't get to host the oscars and it's like all right did that help anybody that that you say you you stand to defend or 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 you're in support of? I don't think it did. I think that it would have made things a bit better if you had been like, "Hey, this comic, this comic and this comic are phenomenal." Um instead of trashing Kevin for 15 minutes, watch 15 minutes of their stand up. Now we're in a better place, you know? Or yeah, or ask for a different host. You know who is of the community. There's a, a million different ways that that you know that whole situation could have gone. Um, but I, I'm you know I'm in, in, in total agreement. You know that there's different ways we can direct that energy. You know from it just becoming this pile on effect. And man, I think people do it because it's easy. You know it's people, cool. To, yeah. You know people also don't feel special. So people don't don't realize that sure you're only tweeting one thing but now you're one of a hundred thousand people it's like and that and like you know i'm not the the real effects of of that are enough to like honestly a stronger person or a more uh like centered person can handle it other people can't they're yeah. like we we don't talk about it a lot because it makes the masses feel bad because because to a certain degree i guess everyone is participating in it. but like stuff like that makes people kill themselves like stuff like that sends people into deep depression so it's like it's like really think about i don't really get in any beefs with people and it's not because i don't have problems with people it's just like online is not the place to handle it like 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 we're gonna have a conversation when i see you or I'm just going to ignore you and you're, you're done. I'm, you're done. I'm not, I'm not engaging with yeah. you anymore. And I think that that, that on, doesn't only make me feel healthier as a person as, as far as mentally, but also like I have less problems. I don't, I don't have as many problems as some of these like comics out here getting into it with people all the time. Like, you know, it's just like, I, I told the joke and you didn't like the joke and the people in the clip like the joke. So I guess those are my people and you're not, I, I guess that that's how that works, you know? 
And that's not to say I can't improve or I can't learn from something. I always welcome people. If I'm really saying something terrible, let me know like that. Like, I don't want to just be saying terrible things. It's like if I really didn't know, then like hit me up. I'm always open to to learn and and adapt and, and change things. But if you're just like it depends on how you come at people, you know. That makes sense. I mean, I, I agree. There's there's a right way to do things um, to get your message across so that it's actually you know received. Because if it's not received, there's no point in you shouting it out because you're just shouting to a brick wall. But listeners, what we're going to do, we're going to take another break so we can get into our third segment here. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Every time I go to hit you. All right, listeners, let's get back into it here. Remember that we are joined today by Josh Johnson, stand-up comic and Emmy-nominated writer at The Daily Show. Um, Josh, our third segment kind of centers around uh, what's next for you, uh, your future, and kind of like that. Um, Me, I'm somewhat of a visionary. I like to think long-term, and I know you're up and coming, you know, a lot going on, sky's the limit for you. But when you get to the, you know, kind of the end of your career, um, what do you what do you want that comedic legacy to kind of be? Um, you know, I, I want to make sure I've toured all over the world, uh, not just the keep going to the places I've been, even though I love revisiting. And then uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to have uh, shows and movies and content that that not only expresses my like like vision for entertainment and for comedy that I think is is I think I'm on the the cutting edge of, of how things are shifting, but I, I want to make sure that I spend all my time like, um, hyping up other people that I think are really talented, really funny, or just really artistic, uh, and, and not just focus on me. Cause after a while it's like, you got enough money and you got, and people know who you are. So you really like, I think that that's actually the last stage of of like money, power and fame is if you can make another person uh, powerful, rich or famous. Like there are some people that's like, hey, that's that's cool that you that is all you out here. But like you don't even have enough power to pull somebody else up. So then how powerful are you really? And so I I think about that. And then uh, I want to have like a bunch of hit songs. That'd be great. You know, like I like I, I want to make sure my comedy albums are like number one, two, three and four. And then I I think I can like rest for a bit. Yeah, no, man, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, a dream. Yeah, that's right. No, nah. you're in America, <laughs> land of opportunity. You're on the right path for sure. Um, one other question we had for you was just kind of, um, you know, about the comedy game, the industry. Um, we know it's 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 changing some with the rise of social media. You know, you're having people who are very funny, but they're primarily on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And they have thousands, millions of followers. But, you know, I feel like there is a difference between, you know, someone who is on social media, who's a, a star, but they're not necessarily on the stage 
doing hour long, you know, sets necessarily. Um, but, you know, then, and so it's like, they're comedians, I guess, but not like the typical comedian who's on stage. So I just wanted to kind of get your take on like, how is, you know, social media kind of changing the game where you don't necessarily have to be up on the stage and have specials necessarily to have this huge stardom and following and fans and everything um, rather than, you know, you kind of, like you say, doing the, the, the back-end bars and clubs and things, working your way up, you can now just really start on Instagram and build a following. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it, it all depends on what a person wants to do. You know, it's like it's like some people can have a million TikTok followers, but if you don't know how to mobilize it in a way that gives the people following you something worth following and then gives you the access and the the free time and the space to create, then you're not really doing anything. You know, I, I think that there are a lot of people who count the followers as the success. And it's like, all right, maybe if that's your goal, that's fine. But like, unless you really know, one thing I'll say about doing podcasts, doing stand up, doing all of the older and slower ways of building a following outside of the the socials is that in my opinion, at least I could be wrong, but to me, those people who follow you for real stick with you longer and I think that, you know, since we've been on the topic of cancellation and stuff, it's like, to me, at least from what I've seen and the stress I've seen influencers have, like, that's a that's a hard job. And it's not and it's 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 mentally stressful to just be an influencer. Like people think it's so easy because people are already hot. But it's like, well, they're not just hot. They're trying to think of content all day. It's like this full time job, whatever. That thing to me is the most likely to be affected by some sort of cancellation or something, because to me, those people are perceived. They're, they're actually the perfect crossover of the two things that I worry about. So they're perceived to be rich and powerful and famous when really they're just regular people for the most part. Some of them are so fam- like obviously like a Kim Kardashian is Kim Kardashian and like, you know, the top TikTokers, the top TikToker, like all that stuff. But for most of them, you can have I mean, you could have like, you know, half a million followers and still be living with your mom. So these, so some of these people are like perceived as a certain type of celebrity. And then they're, they're um, because their fan base is so flippant and because they came so easy, they can also go so easily. So now when you follow someone and you like them based off of like three tweets, now if they put out a bad tweet, well, you don't like a quarter of their tweets. That seems worth unfollowing to me. And so, so I think that that stuff it all depends on what a person wants and it doesn't get any easier because there are some people who just want to be social media famous because they see it as a shortcut. And I promise you it's not a shortcut. If you, if you really talk to those people who are like truly like hot, like popping on social and then you really look at their life while they're not, you know, on camera or anything like that. I'm not saying they're not even happy. Plenty of them are happy. But the stress is like, okay, you might as well be doing it the quote unquote hard way. You know, like like there's no shortcuts and there's no easy way out if you want some sort of um, recognition for what you create. Whether you're an artist, a musician, a comic, anything like that. You know, because then the the last thing I guess I, I'll say about it is that 
some of them are just influencers for being influencers. And so then now you have a person that's like universally trashed for having no talent. But I mean, they, they got a 200,000 people to care who they are and what they do next. So it's like, maybe that's a talent, you know, but, but people hear that stuff and it affects you. It's like the way that people talk about you and the way that people treat you, especially when they think you're not around or you're not listening that I, I think sometimes that affects you more than someone just saying something to your face. Cause in, in, in person to person, you can, you know, you can suss out like, okay, were they just angry? Did they mean it? Whatever. Someone writing a comment about you that they really think you'll never see, even though it's on your page, that can affect a person. And, and I don't envy the, the Gen Zers, like the young people at all that are coming up in that time because they're coming up with no reprieve from it. It's like, it's exactly ingrained in, in not just their generation, but like who they are. It's a facet of their personality. I don't say that as an insult, but like it is, uh, you know, if you're, if you are an American or other, some other countries, but it's like, if you're an American 20 year old, you have TikTok for the most part. And it's like, all right, then what's your experience with that? The same way that, you know, for I'll say our age, but we're, we're probably not all the same age, but like for our age, it was Facebook. It's like you're in college right now. You have a Facebook. Why don't you have a Facebook? Oh, I just don't really care to get on it. It's like, well, then how are you going to keep up with people? How will you know it's anybody's birthday if you don't get a Facebook? And so that that's kind of the my feelings on it where I'm just like. I'm not saying it's bad, but, you know, I, I've seen the darker sides of it and it does make me really sad, especially when people don't know why they're getting into it or they don't know why they want more followers. It's like, do you want more followers because you want a hug? Because I'll give you a hug. <laughs> don't put yourself that's, through all this because you need a hug. That's one currency <laughs> that you yeah. can be hoping for. I, I think, you know. The reason why I asked it is just thinking about I can't name off the top of my head, but I know there are some like social, I guess you call it influencers, people who are funny on social media, trying to make that transition to get on stage and and actually have a set and and become a real comedian. Um, I couldn't remember, but there's an interview on The Breakfast Club I heard where somebody was trying to make the, the the distinction between like, yes, you got followers, but they're not really fans until like they pay for you know, a ticket to actually see you live on the stage. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I don't, I, I wouldn't equate it with money though, but yeah, I think that, I think that that sentiment is definitely true that like out of, you know, cause you see people and, and that's the other thing that the transitioning in comedy that's hard for people is that they look at their pages and it's like, okay, I got a hundred thousand fans and then they, you know, I'll call them followers for the sake of the argument, but like I have a hundred thousand followers. I got this, these tickets to sell to, um, a show that I'm doing in, in Georgia. Right. Okay. But let's do the math here out of all of your fans. Where are they? Are they all in Georgia or like most of them spread out across the country or the world? So then take as many fans. So let's say now you got 3000 fans uh, in Georgia, you only have to sell out this hundred seater. But then half of these fans followed you from one video that you made that they thought was funny. I don't know if that's worth a $20 ticket. So even take out the the 1500 that are immediately not willing to pay. And then out of those people who, you know, 
who is free that weekend. All right. I mean, who knows how many to cut out, but like, let's cut out another 500. So now there's a thousand people. It's just a hundred seater that you have, you have 10 times as many fans in the area as you need to sell tickets. It's like, okay, well, if you're, especially if you're doing stand up, maybe it's 21 and up. So how many of your fans are over 21? So now you just lost another bunch. And so it's like, by the time you actually do the show, this person with a hundred thousand followers can't sell more than 30 tickets when they go tour. And it's like, all right, now now they have a false perception of if people like them or not, because the people definitely like them. If if all 100,000 people had the time, the money, the age requirement, and were in the location, they probably would have sold out in a second. But just the way the world works and doing the math, you, you show up and you're like, how do I only sell, you know, 29 tickets? I have 100,000 followers. And it's like, that's how, because like light, real life is still happening. No matter how much you're on social and no matter how much your life is affected by it and 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 how much of your life you put into it, the the real world outside of the phone is still happening. And so that that's the other thing that makes it hard for people that they don't think I don't even think some agents realize that because some people get agents and managers off of having all these followers. And then the agent and manager think they're going to be like mad successful and then they do all right. It's like they're they're basically selling the same amount of tickets as if if, if they didn't have those followers and were like a uh, you know a nobody comic off the street. Now don't get me wrong; those twenty nine people are very excited. They're very, like they're super excited to see you, and that's something that you can turn into a real fan base. Because when someone is excited and and sees you, and not only are you genuine, but you're actually talented. I, I I really think you have them for life. And that's why you see comics who nobody knows. I promise there are names of the funniest people on the planet that nobody knows, but their fan base does. And their fan base shows up once every 18 months when they come to town and they sell that show out. And they always will for the end of time because the, you were cool with you were cool the first time you were great the second time you 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 stopped and talked to me after the show the third time you got a fan for life, you know? Yeah. That, that that's impressive. I like that because that's I think I, which I'm not on TikTok as much. I'm I'm gonna have to get on there because I'm getting some books published later on. But I definitely would understand the transition trying to go from you know you were you were funny for like a you know fifth, you know five seconds to a minute versus you know trying to do a half hour you know Comedy Central or, or Netflix special like you did. It definitely is a transition, but not to say you can't do it. Um, so, uh, Josh, what we're going to do, we're going to take our last little break here. And when we come back, we just want to get your final message. It's just our way to send our episode off in a great big old boat to our listeners. So, uh, fans of the Black Agenda, stick with us. Uh, remember, you've been listening to Josh Johnson, stand-up comic and Emmy-nominated writer at The Daily Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. So we're ending our conversation here with Mr. Josh Johnson, uh, getting his final message. Uh, again, he's a stand-up comic and Emmy-nominated writer at The Daily Show. So, Josh, we've talked about cancel culture. We've kind of gotten your story 
of how you got into comedy. Um, but we kind of wanted to end it with the really cool moment that you had posted, you know, on your social media. Um, and so the, the moment was when you actually saw yourself on a billboard in New York uh, that was promoting your recent hour long special on Comedy Central. And so, uh, you know, in your post, obviously you were excited, but you were just saying how crazy it was to see you um, in the bright lights finally. And so we wanted to kind of ask, you know, walk us through that, what that moment meant to you, you know, as a young comedian who's coming up into the game and kind of, you know, send us off with a message for the next generation of comics um, who are coming after you as to why they, you know, must keep believing in themselves, you know, in their passions. Um, I mean, okay. It, it was, it was, it was cool. I'm not going to act like it wasn't awesome. And like, didn't like put a, like a little butterfly in my stomach and everything, but also like, man, you couldn't believe how much nobody cared. Like, it, like it, it's, it's actually astounding. Like, like when you're in oh Times Square, <laughs> nobody cares about anything. Like they are trying to get where they're going or they're trying to take their selfie in front of the TVs. And that's it. They don't, they don't want to know anything about anything. They, every, they assume everybody's selling something. There's a couple people on drugs. So it's like, they're, they're running around like singing to you but to themselves like they don't want you to join in the song at all so it was it was definitely an amazing feeling but it was a little bit uh was it fleeting of a, of a feeling but i will say that the the number one thing i would tell anybody that's getting started in 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 whatever they want to do is that um i i think you have to be as patient as you are persistent i, I you cannot give up but you can't expect an things to happen overnight and if you keep that mindset of like i'm just trucking along until i get it and it's inevitable like like um it's easy to look inevitable when you already have the stuff so there's that old saying that like turning a hundred dollars into a million dollars is almost impossible and turning um a million dollars into um you know a million and a hundred thousand dollars is inevitable you know and and i think that like all creativity all uh like mastery and skill works the same way when you have a lot of skill it's easy to think okay you're only going to elevate from here and then when you don't have any skill you think you'll never get there so i i think being as patient as you are persistent and treating things like inevitability you know not not to the point of delusion that you think you don't have to work but but if I keep doing what I'm doing, you know, that that's actually one of the most um, that's actually one of the most inspiring, but also one of the scariest things when you watch uh, a fight. Like I'm a big combat sports fan. So it's like when you watch Ali fight, like when I, I don't remember his name. I oh, it was Ernie Terrell. I think when Muhammad Ali fought Ernie Terrell, he he had already whooped this man and he told people I'm going to whoop this man. And Ernie Terrell refused to call Muhammad Ali. He kept calling him Cassius Clay. And he's like, you know, I've changed my name. You know, like, why can't you respect me and just use the name? And he's like, your mama called you Clay. I'm gonna call you Clay. And he was like, all right, all right. Sounds good. And then during the fight, you know, is just whooping this dude and asking him what's his name. So he's like popping up, like popping him good. Like one, two, what's my name? One, two, what's my name? The, the round ends and Ernie Terrell goes back to his corner and Muhammad Ali just stands in the middle of the ring screaming, what's my name? That if you can have that sort of like um, confidence and tenacity towards the things that you want to do, even if you don't reach the exact thing, because there are plenty of things that I wanted that I haven't got, you know, like and and I just treat it as a yet thing. and. And, you know, 
no one will be able to prove me wrong until I'm in the grave and maybe it didn't happen. But uh, you, you have to approach things that way and that it comes through patience because it's not going to it's not going to happen right away, even if it should. I know people who are incredibly funny and they should be way more known than they are and they're not yet but it's a yet i think they will be i think there i think there are people right now if you're looking into comedy and you're really watching it and you're really traveling and watching it you're you're gonna see people who it's like everybody else is gonna find out about in 10 years and you know about them now but they that'll be through their persistence and it'll also be through their patience knowing that nothing comes easy you know I like that. That you know, that's a great message uh, because I think here in America, and you know, uh, people are like you know microwaves. They like to be quick, fast, in a hurry. Uh, we want results right now. Um, we we think that we deserve it, you know, um, and we don't want to put in the work to get to that level. Uh, and like you said, sometimes you're not going to get there, but it's about trying and not giving up. Um, and it's about knowing that you got to have the patience. So uh, that's a, that's a, you know, Josh, that's a great uh, message. Um, Cause I think no matter if you're in the realm of politics or in the realm of, you know, comedians, um, that's something that you can, you know, take and, and, and you know, kind of bury within yourself and try to rise to the occasion to meet the moment. So uh, thank you for, for really pointing that out. Uh, very, very great guest on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I guess, if you don't mind me plugging away for yeah. a oh, second. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to, we're going to, we, that was just my little recap to your final message. Dev is going to do his little, his yeah. little quick little two bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. No, no, of course. We're going to, we're going to plug everything. We got you. But no, again, like Adrian said, excellent, amazing conversation, insightful um, to get your, you know, your thoughts because you're actively, you're in the game, you're touring, you're doing the stand up and you're writing. So, it's rare we get to, you know, have somebody on the show who can give us that insight into what it's like, you know, on the ground floor, you know, to, to be in the comedy game. Um, so we just appreciate you coming on and, and sticking with us and, you know, um, being honest about, you know, you know, your thoughts about what's happening and everything. And of course, you know, like you say, before you go, um, we'll plug, you know, your, your tour and everything. So if you want to go ahead, kind of let the folks know where they can find you, uh, what kind of projects you got going on and everything. Uh, yeah. So if you, if you just want to, you know, like link up and chat, I uh, want to reach out and get, whether it's my thoughts or something, or give me your thoughts. You can find me on Instagram at Josh Johnson comedy, Twitter at Josh Johnson, Facebook, if you still use it at Josh J comedy, and then YouTube at Josh Johnson comedy, where I post, you know, clips of my stand up, um, you know, clips from my podcast and new projects that I have out as far as music and comedy and everything. And I also have a podcast myself. It's called the Josh Johnson show. And it is wherever you get podcasts. We do new episodes every Thursday. And then the last thing is I have uh, the mixtape that I mentioned at the beginning is is wherever you listen to music, Spotify, Deezer, Apple, Pandora, all that stuff. And I'm hopefully you, you were into it. I, I hope very much I made it and I love it and I made it for you. So I hope you like it. It's okay. If you don't, it's not, it's, it's it, no pressure is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying if you like it, I'm going to be very happy. And if you don't like it, then you, you, you don't have to tell me. 
I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out from the numbers. If the numbers look bad a year from now, I'll be like, a lot of people didn't like it, and they uh, were very nice to not tell me. Well, hey, you've got uh, music and comedy, so you got two shots to get people to like it. So, listeners, go uh, go check that out. Don't forget that Josh is also involved in the Back to Abnormal Comedy Tour. Um, if he, you know, go Google that. Maybe he'll be in your area, so you can actually see him in person. He sounds like someone who will even talk to you after the show. So uh, maybe tweet at him and let him know you'll be joining the show and he'll kind of let you know. But yeah, Josh, you've been awesome. We're not going to take up any more of your time today. Um, Listeners, remember, you've had uh, the pleasure of getting to know and listen to Josh Johnson, stand-up comic and Emmy-nominated writer at The Daily Show. Josh, I know we've said it a thousand times and we'll continue to say it, but we really appreciate our conversation. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, for real. I had a great time chatting with you. I know I did most of the talking, so I can't I can't fully call it like a conversation. I don't want to be like, that was a great conversation, and then I talked like 80% of the time. But I did have a great time being on the show, and uh, I look forward to letting you all talk more the next time we talk. No, that's good. Unfortunately, our, our listeners don't get the, the bloopers because we don't put those out. They don't get all the, the, the break conversation. But know that we did have a great conversation when we weren't interviewing you. So we do appreciate that. So oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah that, that's that, true. that saves me. <laughs> See, it even well, hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, listeners, we're going to, Devin and I, we're going to take our last break. And when we come back, we're just going to do our ending. So stick with us. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to give you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. Um, So coming up next week on July 17th, of course, we'll be back with you on Saturday for weekly roundup number five. That's our chance to bring you all the biggest, biggest and breaking news from the past week. Um, So that'll be coming out Saturday and you'll be able to stream that on the weekend for your enjoyment. And so whether you're getting ready for brunch on Saturday or Sunday, church on Sunday, um, you'll be able to listen to that, catch up on all the news from the past week that you may have missed out. So again, weekly roundup number, number five coming out July 17th. And then after that, we'll have our next regular lineup episode coming up. This time it's going to feature Mr. Warren Wilson. He is an app developer author, and entrepreneur. So we're going to talk with him about what he is doing in the community. He's doing some amazing stuff. So really tune in for that episode. You can catch his ep- him on the show on Tuesday, July 20th. Um, Mr. Warren Wilson, again, app developer, author, and entrepreneur. He's going to be on the show. So really, really good uh, interviews coming up. So make sure you tune in for that. <clears throat> also, we always like to tell you that you can help us out. Um, not only by listening to the show and sharing it, but you can also donate to us. Um, and Adrian is going to tell you how you can do that. That is absolutely correct. Listeners, we love you um, tuning in to the show. We love you 
sharing, liking, following everything, but that monetary support can really do some things for us. Uh, Devin and I, we had a conversation about some of the things we hope to do with the Black Agenda, whether it be helping uh, mom and pop shops with their marketing, maybe start a lobbying group. We're looking to really create an organization that's going to actually empower the community and bring change and transformation into the communities that we're talking about. And that takes us, uh, but it also takes you giving us those dollars and cents so that we can actually make things happen in a capitalistic society. So, all you've got to do, listeners, go to our website, blackagendapod.com. Click that donate tab. Once you start off by giving a dollar, it's going to make you feel good, make you feel happy, and it'll go up and up from there. We even have some great gifts and prizes that we give out to our monthly patrons. So again, go to blackagendapod.com, click that donate tab, and sign up to start giving a dollar a month and go from there. The other thing that we like to make, uh, make sure that we mention is that we like to offer or rather offer, well, I guess we could say offer, offer some attention to a charity of the month where we like to spotlight them. And this month we're going to be doing Color of Change. Color of Change is the nation's largest online racial justice organization. They help they help people respond effectively to injustice in the world around us as a national online force driven by 7 million members. They move decision makers and corporation and government to create a more humane and less hostile work, uh, excuse me, less hostile world for black people in America. So really, really great organization. They're doing some great things by you donating to us. We can also give a chunk to them. So, yeah, Devin, um, I hope that everyone is paying attention uh, so that we can start getting some monthly patrons. So, yes, any support that you give us will be greatly, greatly appreciated. And before we get you out of here, we also want to let you know you can follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod is our handle. So make sure you pull out your phone right now. Go to those three platforms. Follow us at Black Agenda Pod. Also, you can find us on YouTube. Uh, just search the Black Agenda Podcast and you'll find us. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. And share everything that you see on there. There's some really great interviews there. Um, also, we ask that you send this to your friends, send it to your family, coworkers, anyone else that's around you. We really want you to share this content so we can share the knowledge that we're gaining uh, with the show. So, again, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Black Agenda Pod. So, um, before we get out of here, I want to say a thank you to Mr. Josh Johnson for staying with us. Uh, it was a really, really good interview. Uh, we really appreciate him making himself available. He's working, but he made himself available for us, and we appreciate that. So we thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.